Good evening and welcome into another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Shopdell, C70 at Spat at C70 on Twitter with me as always, Tara Nichols from Red uh, from Birds on the Black, sorry, and <laughs> at Tara Wellman on the Twitters. Um, it's been uh, probably the most fun of a week since we've had since what last September, Tara. I think this was a really interesting and then exciting week. Yeah, outside of a 17 game winning streak. A week where you sweep the Cubs and then the best in baseball Yankees at home feels pretty great. And, uh, you know, hard to compare just in terms of the overall excitement about both uh, opponents, I think. Mm-hmm. in Even if we've said this a, a thousand times, everybody has, but even in years when the Cubs are down that's still a frightening series, right? Because that those rivalry games, you never know what's going to happen. And then to take on the really incredible 2022 New York Yankees who (laughs) have been not just formidable, but really dominant all season and to do it at home when you don't get to see the Yankees in St. Louis very often And to do it right after the trade deadline, which, you know, leading up to this week allowed for a lot of um, speculation, allowed for some intrigue just in terms of, hey, what are these teams going to look like by the time we're seeing them in this homestand? So I think there was a lot of buildup to this this whole week just because of the excitement surrounding both series. And then, of course, to see it play out like it did, you can't really ask for much more if you're a Cardinals fan. Not at all. And I mean, the fact that, you know, you not only have all this, you set the attendance record at your yeah. stadium. I mean, I, I, I'm guessing either there's more standing room only they've yes. done a little bit because there's no way. I mean, as, as exciting as the Yankees coming to town is, it really shouldn't outdraw a World Series game <laughs> or the no, All-Star game or anything like that. And I did also see someone mention, which this is uh, from my experience in other arenas, true, mm-hmm. um, in those bigger events, there's more space taken up by media or, you know, like that some of the yeah. actual okay. tickets sold get taken up for other things. So uh, okay. that may add into the fact that hey just a regular season game there are actually more tickets available (laughs) for just regular fans to um to to get so that that could contribute to that as well that that does make sense although and and we know i mean the ballpark has definitely been modified right since 09 and 11 and 13 i guess and stuff like that so yeah put all that together but you're right that's a good point that there would be a lot less media uh, to cover this series so that that would be interesting um so yeah let's just let's just i guess let's start at the beginning if you will <laughs> let's start at the trade deadline um cardinals again unsurprisingly don't make the big huge move um but they make a couple of smaller moves that i feel like they're going to pay off pretty good dividends i mean to be able to shore up this pitching staff we've seen what the offense can do and we can talk, we'll talk about some of that too, but you know, to be able to get quality starters one to at least four, um, depending on what you think of Dakota Hudson, um, that's, that has a potential and at least this week definitely paid off to be a really big deal. Yeah. And this is why last week and even when these Juan Soto rumors first started, I was sort of talking through my thoughts while we were working through the show because (laughs) and even afterwards I've said I don't I don't know how people would say how do you feel about the trade deadline how do you feel about the Cardinals moves and I kind of would pause and say I don't I don't know yet because yes it's disappointing in some sense to miss out on a player like Juan Soto it's disappointing to feel like okay yet again the Cardinals are in a situation where there's all this buildup And I think the more frustrating thing for me was feeling like they spent all that time focusing on Juan Soto and didn't have like an an impressive B plan to go to (laughs) if it didn't work out. I mean, there wasn't like a a top of the rotation kind of starter that would really change the dynamic and give that energy boost that we often talk about. Hey, I wonder if the guys in the clubhouse would really appreciate, you know, the, the front office kind of 
going for it with somebody and saying, hey, we believe so much in this team. We're willing to shake things up just enough to add a really critical piece. They didn't do that. However, I'm less disappointed that the Cardinals did not get Juan Soto because, look, only one team was going to get Juan Soto. (laughs) There were going to be other disappointed teams. But even getting Juan Soto didn't solve the most crucial problems for the 2022 Cardinals. And we talked about that, too. So then addressing the pitching issues was definitely more timely in terms of what this Cardinals team needed. It just seemed like, I don't know if those moves were particularly (laughs) awe-inspiring. It felt a little maybe underwhelming on the surface. But again, the more I started to think about it, the more it was kind of like, well, I don't know what their real options were. Right, because mm-hmm. you you give away a lot more for a player like Juan Soto. Right. You don't give away that much for a sort of mediocre upgrade, right? Like if it's not gonna make a marketable difference, I don't want John Mosalak to just freely start handing out prospects <laughs> to <laughs> someone with a, a big name that's gonna look better on paper at the trade deadline. So if they didn't really have the opportunity to get someone who was more than a marginal upgrade. I don't know that it really would have made sense to try to do something splashy just to make a splash. Instead, the moves, particularly for the starting pitchers in Montgomery and Quintana, while maybe not wildly impressive on paper, definitely stabilize what was a very shaky rotation And give the Cardinals a little bit more footing to kind of, (laughs) I don't know, brace themselves on to put everything else back in line and back in place. So not the most, I I, I think on Twitter I said I I wasn't really dazzled, (laughs) but I'm okay with that under the circumstances if there really wasn't a great option, like a front end of the rotation starter type that they could go out and get that would have made that kind of significant difference. So I think it was Derek Gould who said, you know, I don't know if this is a trade that really makes them better, that, that brings them closer to winning the division as much as it keeps them from falling further back in the division. And at the time I felt like that was probably a pretty good evaluation of, of what happened. And yet they went out and had this kind of week. Now it's one week. (laughs) There's a a lot of season left to play out, but um, they also didn't, you know, give up, one of the best closers in the game for practically nothing and do that when they're leading the division. So at least they didn't go that route. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The most impactful trade uh, that the Cardinals had may have come in Milwaukee when they sent off Josh Hader and uh, apparently sent that again. It's also like you said, it's one week and but it's also a week where the Brewers played the Pirates and the Reds that only won one game and right. lost those games against the Pirates, all had a lead against the Pirates mm-hmm. and then lost them late. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to watch the Brewers the rest of the way. I mean, because there's, I mean, it's most likely that they're going to, you know, they're going to stabilize. They're going to kind of get over this and they're going to start playing more like they were. But, you know, when you take away a, you know, take away a Jenga block, sometimes the tower falls down. Well, and, and, and just like just like we were saying with sometimes thinking a big trade would be a, a boost for the clubhouse morale for the Cardinals, mm-hmm. a move like this, I have to imagine, leaves some of those players in the clubhouse thinking, wait a second, what are we doing here? Right. Because they were up four games <laughs> in the division <laughs> uh, just before the trade deadline and looking like, okay, cool they may still have some flaws but they're in the driver's seat and then all of a sudden the front office kind of pulls the rug out from under them sure it's only one player but i mean it's a pretty significant piece to a team that has really done well by being able to finish games strong and so i have to imagine that there's a similar uh i guess emotional cave-in <laughs> in that clubhouse on the the contrary to what maybe the Cardinals are feeling after this last week of baseball um, with both the trades that stabilize some things and obviously just the success. So very weird dynamic, I'd imagine, at least temporarily in Milwaukee. 
Yeah, and I think also the fact that Milwaukee didn't go out and make a, you know another move right. on the other side. They didn't bring in a bat. I don't think they didn't bring in any kind of hitting at all, which has been yeah. what they've been needing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's very easy for those players to say, well, what are we doing here? Whereas on the flip side, again, we saw what Nolan Arenado said, that you know this team just felt like it needed that that impact players or, or, you know, just enough to be added to, they didn't have to have a soda or anything like that. Right. They just needed something to show that, Hey, we believe in you. We know that y'all can do this. We're going to give you what you need to succeed. And for better or worse, I mean, you know, you can't say that's the whole reason they've won seven in a row and you know what, eight right. and nine and all that, but, um, or nine of 10, I guess, but it didn't hurt. I mean, Quintana comes out and throw, gives up one run in, what, six innings, I think. Uh, Montgomery shuts out the Yankees over five innings. Uh, might have been able to go longer, but apparently hasn't adjusted to the <laughs> summer heat of St. Louis yet, which is fair. Yeah. Um, Tough week to try to make that move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't Yeah, you don't really want to do that. But no. um, so, you know, obviously the impact that, you know, Chris Stratton had has already made three appearances. Today's was a little bit shaky, but, um, you know, overall he's proving to be, oh, I think I saw it. He's going to be kind of like the Drew Verhagen and the Nick, Nick Whitgren that, that they thought they were getting, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a middle, middle of the bullpen guy, but that's another thing that this team needed. Um, if he can be, you know, relatively successful. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to say that this was a, a bad week. I, this, I mean, the, the, as much as people like to give John Mosley like a lot of grief, and sometimes we do as well, as he likes to point out, um, he, he did his job, and, and he did his job pretty well. Well, yeah, that's like I said. I, there's part of me that feels like, did they get distracted by the Juan Soto move when there was a better, uh, like bigger impact pitching option out there? But when you start to look around, I don't know that there was that was mm-hmm. going to be the same kind of, hey, there's some, you know, cost control here and a, a significant upgrade in the skill set department. Right. I don't know that that move was there. So it's hard to be disappointed about not doing something that maybe was never an option, <laughs> I guess, yeah. when what he did do again, it's not maybe the upgrade that everyone's going to be talking about, but it might be the upgrade that is just enough to allow the Cardinals a little bit of breathing room to allow everything else to fall into place. And not that again, one week means anything, but (laughs) John Mazalek made small moves and didn't sell the farm for Juan Soto and the Cardinals swept the Yankees. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. the Padres uh, made all the moves and um, didn't work out so well for them against the Dodgers this weekend. So right. the trades, the, the moves that were made, the moves that were not made, not entirely indicative of what the rest of the season is going to look like. Just again, a reminder that, hey, John Mazalak may not be good at making the big in-season move. And sometimes I think that's a problem. Sometimes I think that may be a bit limiting in terms of Mm -hmm. how much the team can turn around a season or kind of build in that idea of, hey, we're good. Let's make ourselves great once we realize where we really can upgrade the most. He doesn't seem to do that. But what he is really good at is making those smaller moves that maybe don't shift the needle dramatically but they at least reposition the team to function at its best the way the rest of the roster is designed. And I think you could do a whole podcast debating whether that's a great philosophy in the way that baseball works today, but that is something that Mo has proven to be quite good at is finding those smaller moves that maybe aren't earth shattering, but are stabilizing (laughs) And yeah. then hoping that that's enough. I think that, yeah, you can make the argument that maybe the Cardinals need to be more aggressive in the offseason so you don't necessarily have mm, to make yeah. these kind of moves. That you can make the move that takes you from good to great instead of the move that takes you from treading water to good. Um, 
but that's a different story for a different time. I mean, there's no doubt that, you know, Mo has, Mo can, you know, can he fix it? Yes, he can. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And these are better moves than last year with, with Hap sure. and Lester. Um, and we know those turned out well, but they didn't look well. I mean, you know, this time last year, we're talking about what the heck are they doing? Getting these scrap heap guys at the very last minute, you know, what, what are, are they just trying to, you know, they're riding this, t- this season off this year. I mean, we're looking at it and this is, these are, significant moves that right. these guys if they pitch in the postseason i don't think we're too disappointed right i mean well, yeah and that's that's the thing I, I mean we've acknowledged this many times too but without a 17 game winning streak last year those moves look really bad because right. the cardinals don't even make the postseason right so you know even those moves while they may have pushed some of the right buttons that led to that 17 game winning streak they still were not the kind of moves that pushed the cardinals over the top when it comes to postseason baseball and i think that that may be is a, a better dividing line in determining hey did i feel like this this trade deadline the front office accomplished enough we're still sort of in that in that um i don't know pattern of hey yeah this team is is good enough to get into the postseason is it good enough to get past the best teams who also get to the postseason to be determined and anyone can catch lightning in a bottle sure um but you know those moves last year comparatively they they were good in the moment but they were not good enough to get the cardinals where they needed to be when it came postseason time now you can throw offense into that mix as well. It's not entirely right. on those two players why the Cardinals didn't make their way to a World Series title. But, you know, that's, that's I think, part of the conversation, at least, when people try to analyze whether John Mozeliak is is great at making these kinds of moves or not. You know, and we and you were talking about, you know, are they able, you know, to, to play with the best teams in the postseason? You know, I think we've proved, they've at least given the indication after this weekend that they can play with them. Now, again, that's not to say that they're going to win the world series or they're going to get past the first round, but if they are on their game, they can play with anybody. Yeah. Um, And, you know, that's a good thing to say. Um, And it feels different than the last few years, right? It feels different to, to see a team like the Yankees come in Cardinals played really well against them in close games too. I mean, it was not a, a situation where it was just like, oh, the Yankees just totally fell apart. These were right. close, competitive, edge of your seat kinds of games, and the Cardinals came out on top. Whereas in the last few years, it's felt like, okay, they might do fine against the NL Central, but bring in the best teams from the American League, and they are going to look pretty pathetic. That's certainly not what happened this weekend, which is no. encouraging to see. Yeah. For sure. Is it for you, before we get too far along, you know, next year they go to the balance schedule and you get to see everybody. It, it feels like it, it's going to take a little bit of luster off of a series like this um, to see the Yankees every year. I mean, it's still going to be probably a big deal, but you know, this is what the first time in, I don't, I didn't even look to see five, six years since they've played them. Yeah. Um, I think that, I mean, it, that helped add to that, right? Once you see them every year, it's not the same as seeing the Cubs or the Pirates or anything like that because you'll see them more. But I'm still I'm still wondering about how that schedule is going to work out. That might be a time for something to discuss in the offseason. But for me, it, it, I think it's going to lose a little bit of that luster. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think part of what made this series so intriguing is that there are two teams that have a ton of history um, mm-hmm. you know, together and individually. There are two teams that have a ton of accolades as far as baseball history goes and you don't often get to see them facing off you don't get to see Aaron Judge at Bush Stadium very often which by the way to sort of divert again for a moment (laughs) uh, if he played in a different city uh, all his home games those home run numbers probably don't look quite like they do uh, playing in New York but I mean that's that's always true that's that's true for everybody every ballpark has some sort of uh, measure that impacts performance but I did think it was interesting that even the hardest hit long fly ball in today's game um, was still off the wall and not over the mm-hmm. fence which just maybe more than anything uh, emphasizes th- the guys who do hit home runs at Bush Stadium are, yeah. are uh, 
having quite the quite the successful moment at the plate because it's really hard to do even for someone like Aaron Judge. Yeah, there was a tweet going around this this um, weekend of some one of these you know insider makeup sources type things, but that, this idea that that the Cardinals were going to make a big push for Aaron Judge I'm like, after, after this weekend, Aaron Judge is not going to have anything to do with Bush Stadium <laughs> at all. Because uh, yeah, that one he hit today, I was like, oh, that's that's gone, and yeah, just it just one hop the wall, and it's yeah. like, yeah, that's that's tough for them, and. It, and I think give some credit to the the Cardinal pitchers in general this weekend. I I, yeah. I think if you had said, I, I mean, one, if you said the Cardinals would have swept, people would like really. But if you said the Cardinals are going to sweep and Aaron Judge isn't going to hit a home run, yeah, I don't think anybody would have believed that because I mean the way he's been hitting the ball, I expected at least one or two to leave the yard. Absolutely. I mean, I I certainly did not anticipate a one nothing score in mm-hmm. any of the three games, and I. Su- even more certainly did not expect it to be the Cardinals coming out on top of that game. Without Ryan Helsley. Right. Without Ryan Helsley. I mean, so many things in this series were moments where you were like, well, this is going to end poorly. And it didn't. (laughs) And, you know, whether it was Paul DeYoung, which I'm sure we'll get to, or Gallegos in what seemed like the most unlikely scenario for success, or, you know, the Cardinals putting up 12 runs in the the series finale and, you know, all those things. So, so many improbable moments that really made you stop and think, whoa, okay, maybe I've been underestimating at least the potential of, of this team with this lineup in this sort of makeup as it is right now, because, it's all there. Maybe it's a consistency thing. Maybe it's a pushing the right buttons thing for Ollie Marmol, who kind of made it a little harder on himself than it probably needed to be with uh, trying to push Stratton as, as far as he did today. But again, different story. We're, we're down the road quite a bit here, but (laughs) to answer your question, I do think it's going to be different when seeing the Yankees at Bush stadium is not a, a rare thing, but it's just a thing that happens every year. And I guess I'm sure there are people who can give the 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 advantages of that, the benefits of that, whatever. Um, but I think just from that kind of, I don't know, baseball lore perspective, mm-hmm. it is a little more fun when it's not the norm. Right. Okay, so we've talked about who came in to St. Louis. Let's talk about the who went out. <laughs> um, and the biggest thing, I mean, the trade for... Quintana, we did the Cardinals did give up um, Johan Oviedo uh, off the major league roster, also Malcolm Yunus from the minors. But uh, Jordan Montgomery took a little bit more. Harrison Bader goes to New York. And I mean, granted, what was it four years ago? We thought Harrison Bader should go to New York just to the Mets for Zach Wheeler. That was a totally different thing. Um, how surprised were you that the Cardinals moved on from Harrison Bader? You know, that move shocked me more than I thought a move would at the deadline this year because of all of the outfielders that the Cardinals have had available to them in the last, gosh, three or four years, right? Mm -hmm. Harrison Bader's been their guy. I mean, Harrison Bader's the guy that they marched out to show the new baby blue uniforms. He's the guy that comes back to St. Louis in the offseason to do somewhat baseball adjacent stuff at ballpark village right he's the guy that um i guess public facing they early on made him really important to the overall uh, kind of outlook of who the cardinals are with this young group and uh, you know the image isn't necessarily a reason to keep him around but it just the 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 feeling was that they were pretty all in on harrison bader mm-hmm. and moving on from him in a trade that maybe didn't again it wasn't part of some earth-shattering thing where you were like oh wow well obviously they had to give up some of their best talent in order to get and that's not even to you know sort of analyze the the talent of Montgomery it's just to while he's hurt (laughs) kind of say all right well well, we'll move on from the Harrison Bader thing was definitely surprising mm-hmm. to me. Um, I think what it does, though, is reiterate that Dylan Carlson is the new golden boy <laughs> <laughs> and his offensive success 
as well as the way that he's handled center field in the extended absences of Harrison Bader this season, uh, maybe kind of just proved to the front office that they would be okay defensively without Harrison Bader. And Dylan Carlson was an offensive upgrade. So maybe that wasn't as important to their future mix as they once thought it was in being the bridge to get to this point. Um, But it's still surprising because he's so much been the, this sort of, face of the new look Cardinals, (laughs) which was always weird to me just because they sort of pushed that on him when he was barely knew his way around downtown. (laughs) And all of a sudden he was the face of the team, which was weird to me, but I certainly have nothing uh, negative to say about the way that he carried himself, the way that he conducted himself as a a member of the, the organization. And I mean, New York fans are going to love his defense. They're going to get really tired of the uh, roller coaster offense, but you know, maybe, maybe he'll find some magic there. Just like uh good, good pal, Matt Carpenter did. Maybe so. Uh, maybe so. And if he makes a diving catch that preserves a world series game, yep. then, you know, <laughs> he's going to be the talk of the town. Um, I, I just, it, it is interesting to see how, what just, was it last year, year four? I guess it was last year they won the what five gold gloves or whatever like that. And yeah. The the whole idea of improving the offense or the defense under Mike Shield and all that kind of stuff. You know, there was such a focus. And then we've seen this year, you know, Nolan Gorman playing second base, which is, you know, he's fine, but he's mm-hmm. not gold glove Tommy Edmond. Um, but the offense is better. Um, and then now to see, you know, granted Harrison Bader has been out with injury and maybe that played a role in this. Um, but, you know, and Dylan Carlson is very good at, you know, playing center field, but he's not Harrison Bader. Um, it's just interesting to see them kind of, I don't want to say move on from this idea of defense, but to integrate it in where um, it's not the only thing um, yeah. is a little bit interesting. Yeah, and it's so hard to make any real assumptions about what was or wasn't happening, particularly as it relates to Mike Schilt, because obviously the managerial change was surprising to everyone, including (laughs) Mike Schilt, um, (laughs) for reasons that we're never really going to get clarity on. However, I can imagine this being where there was a bit of a blind spot for Mike Schilt because he was such a fundamental, such an old school defense wins championships kind of guy and really prided himself on the way the Cardinals turned their defense around from those last years of Mike Matheny. It was just embarrassing, quite honestly. And Mm -hmm. then for Mike Schilt to really make that a focus in his tenure there. And it did, it it made a huge difference. The, The Cardinals defensively were one of the best teams in the league. And that was very important to both the way their pitching staff was created and really the way that their lineup was created because offense uh, was uh, not always existent. So they were going to win games based on their ability to prevent runs more often than their, you know, stellar ability to create runs themselves. So I can imagine that being a bit of a blind spot in terms of lineup construction and usage and all of those things. If that was such a focus that it kept him from maybe plugging the best guy offensively into the lineup because they needed an offensive boost where, Mm -hmm. sure, there may be a slight dip in the spectacular plays that aren't made, but the routine plays are going to be made just fine and you're going to score more runs as a result of a different guy in the lineup, that kind of thing. So, like I said, it's, it's hard and probably unfair to try to make too many assumptions about that. But it is one of the areas where I feel like there could have been some offensive production missed over the the tenure uh, of the Mike Schilt years in favor of defense that was fun to watch, but maybe not the most necessary in trying to build overall the most successful team. Um, so, yeah, Harrison Bader goes out. Um, it's... <sighs> strange but we'll move on i I think we've proven that and we've proven that a little bit by seeing matt carpenter come back this week um in a 
you know, got all the love that he deserves, which is good. It was very good to see that it's amazing how much, um, people kind of forgot how mad they were at Matt Carpenter, <laughs> um, when he's not on their team anymore. Um, Paul Young can relate. <laughs> yes. Paul Young can relate. And we'll get to Paul here in a minute, but, um, it was it was nice to see Matt Carpenter come in. It was great for him to, you know, he says, hey, I, I root for St. Louis every day except for these last these three games. Um it was it was nice to see him. I didn't necessarily like seeing him come up. Uh I think it was uh it was one it was one of those games, uh either Friday or Saturday night, you know, come up uh with a chance to win the ball game um because that just felt like maybe that was going to be scripted Mm -hmm. um but it it was it's i mean we've seen how good he's done it in new york it's very exciting um it was just a nice weekend to revisit those memories i guess absolutely and you know i think other fan bases may find the three consecutive days of standing ovations (laughs) a bit much but it's very Cardinals. And this right. is a guy who was so much the centerpiece of what this Cardinals team did for a long time. And they really built the lineup around him in a number of different ways, right? When it was Matt Carpenter leadoff guy, because there was no one else to do it. They built right. the lineup around Matt Carpenter and the fact that he had a good eye at the plate. <laughs> like <laughs> that was the entire basis of the way that they built that lineup. And then when it was Matt Carpenter, Oh, you can also hit home runs. They still built the lineup around him and they, he had a lot of success for a a long time there and was a very likable guy in the process. So none of that is surprising. I did find myself and maybe this is unfair, but as we were just saying, you know, you see the Yankees outside of Yankee stadium and you realize how much park factors really do matter. I found myself less concerned about oh Matt Carpenter has reinvented himself and he has all these home runs now when I was thinking okay but I want to know how many of those home runs would be fly ball outs in Bush Stadium not to take away from any of the success but just to say hey it might not be as much um, you know a a frightening moment at the plate (laughs) at Bush as it would have been at Yankee Stadium just in the sense that, hey, these ballparks are different and guys are going to succeed differently in both of those places. But that said, Matt Carpenter at the plate with the game on the line uh, was definitely a moment where you're like, wait a second. <laughs> this is this is going to work out for him, isn't it? And, yeah. you know, I guess fortunately for the Cardinals, it didn't. But good to see Matt looking much more like himself, you know, you know, whatever that success looks like, looking much more confident, much more like the Matt Carpenter of old, minus that mustache, which I just, I can't, <laughs> I can't get behind the mustache, but that's just me. Um, to, to go to your point, Matt Carpenter this year, not counting today, but Matt Carpenter this year has nine of his 15 home runs in Yankee Stadium. He has his OPS of 1.605 at Yankee Stadium compared to a 0.890 on the road, which is still good. I mean, he's hitting 270. He's hitting six, but his overall success is heavily influenced by playing in Yankee Stadium. Which, which is great. And, and, I mean, look, yeah. good for him for, for yeah. finding a, a way to reinvent himself enough that he drew interest from the best in baseball Yankees and was plugged into their lineup immediately and had success. That's great. Yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, the, the Matt Carpenter we saw last year, it did not matter where you put him. No. He was not <laughs> going to true. hit well. Um, and, you know, I think there's, you know, there was a little bit of, well, get away from Jeff Albert and look what happens. But, you know, Carpenter himself has admitted by the end of his time in St. Louis, he wasn't listening to anybody. He wasn't right. trying to make these adjustments. And a lot of these kind of adjustments are probably things that, Albert and the crew would have had him do, but he wasn't ready to do that. He had to hit that rock bottom type of thing and, and be released. Uh, it would be very interesting. And how to kind of, I think it worked out for the best. Don't get me wrong. But if he had made those adjustments and if he had had some of the success at the end of last year, mm. you know, is he still a Cardinal? Yeah. And if he's still a Cardinal, is Albert Pujols a Cardinal? Right. Um, I mean, you could go tracing that, counterfactual down the line quite a ways but uh so it may be for the best but uh yeah it was just a little bit interesting to to see him come back and 
in the form that he is in. Yeah. Um, so speaking of guys, again, coming back, Paul DeYoung, as we talked about, I think last week, uh, you know, had been activated, uh, hit a couple of home runs. I was still trying to, I was very interested to see what this Paul DeYoung was going to be. I mean, was he going to be just, uh, you know, the boomer bust type of guy? Um, and, and somewhat this week, we saw a little bit of struggles, but, you know, we saw some really big moments out of him, especially this weekend. Um, I don't know that we'll ever see, you know, the first or second year Paul DeYoung, but I think we've seen a Paul DeYoung that can at least help the team the rest of the way. Yeah, this may be one of the rare scenarios where I would actually agree with the statement that getting this version of Paul DeYoung back is <laughs> kind of like a trade. <laughs> um, because this offensive version of Paul DeYoung is a huge boost to this team. It it creates so much more depth in the lineup. It allows for there to be different protection for Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, who are having tremendous seasons with or without it. But it changes the look of this lineup in a really interesting way. And I, <laughs> I said this, I think, last week to someone um, about Paul DeYoung. And it sounds kind of silly to say it this way. But I, I heard him talking about how, you know, in, in Memphis, he really just was able to kind of get away from all the information and focus on just doing what he knew how to do before. And while that may sound like an indictment on analytics as a whole, to me, what that really says is like Paul DeYoung's too smart for baseball, which isn't a shock <laughs> to anybody who knows anything about Paul DeYoung. But I wonder if he's the kind of person in the rest of his life that loves information, that loves data, that loves the research, that wants to learn and to know and to have more and what he found was that where baseball is concerned, that's actually a roadblock for him, right? To just take mm -hmm. in more and more and more and more and more information rather than to let baseball be a thing that he doesn't have to know all the details. He just has to know enough to make the adjustment and then do what comes naturally after so many years of investing in this particular skill set. And I don't know, again, all we can really do is hear what they say, see what they do, <laughs> try to make right. some sense of it. But he's such a smart human that sometimes I think where, where um, baseball is concerned, you can get in your own way when maybe you think you want all the information or you think you need all of the data and instead you need to step back and say, all right, which pieces of this are actually helpful for me and which pieces are just <coughs> crippling my, my mm -hmm. ability to react instinctually instead mm -hmm. of based on all of the data. He looks like a totally different player as far as his body language is concerned. He looks like he's not overwhelmed by the moments he's been placed in. And while I don't expect him to be the hero of every game he ever plays from here on out, um, you know, if, if there's a, a sort of a happy medium between those first couple of years of Paul DeYoung and the, the struggles he had this year that led to that time spent in Memphis, uh, that still would give really nice depth to this lineup and um you know i think it would boost the confidence of the team overall because hey look there's one more guy who can come up in a clutch moment and come through mm -hmm. yeah it definitely leads to the lineup if you can you know run paul de young out there at you know six or seven or whatever right. the case may be and still feel like he's going to breeze i think it's you know again earlier in the year it was like okay paul de young's up if he gets to two strikes, he's striking out. Um, and if he doesn't get to two strikes, he's probably hit the little ground ball or something like that. And now I think while you may not necessarily expect him to come through all the time, you're at least entertaining the, the possibility, right? You don't yep. just say, Oh, this is, you know, this inning's over or anything like that. And, and that's big. And, and for him, I mean, like you said, it's kind of funny when you were talking about, you know, all that information and know you're not needing it. it reminded me of what, John Smoltz was saying on Saturday's game, whereas when he was a pitcher, he kind of just wanted to know, you know, if a guy was, was hot, if he was, you know, hitting well, um, you know, if he's a guy that liked to chase, um, you know, maybe just like one or two other pieces of information. And then he was going to go with that, you know, cause he did, he, he knew his stuff, right. He knew what he could right. do. 
and he just needed to know how to approach the batter. Um, and I think to some degree that's, you're right. It's what Paul DeYoung needs to do. It's just like, look, I know I can do this. I can do this. And I don't need to try to sit there in the batter's box and count the spin rate. So right. I know what kind of fish <laughs> it is, you know, I, I that does just, you know, which I've could got... be very fascinating for someone like Paul DeYoung outside of like right. actually being on the field, but in that right. moment, not the time. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I'm not saying that it's just, uh, you know, the old kind of caveman grip it and rip it. I'm not going right. to take any information at all, but you've got to figure out what works for you yep. because baseball has so much mm-hmm. now. I mean, so much more than it did 10 years ago, uh, much less 20 or, or so. Um, you just can't use it all. So you've just got to figure out what works for you. And, you know, I think maybe, maybe that time in Memphis where he didn't get as much information in theory, I assume, you know, Memphis while still has a lot more information than, normal probably doesn't have quite as much as the major league level well and and he Um, perhaps intentionally didn't take in as much as was available to him as well either way you're right he probably didn't have the same sort of information overload um on purpose or not Mm -hmm. and maybe that was good for him maybe yeah like i said something something worked (laughs) he was definitely doing well in memphis um and so far the transition has been you know, not necessarily seamless. So he's not hitting 330 or whatever he was at the last couple of weeks in Memphis, but it's definitely been a, I would say successful so oh, yeah. far. Yeah. Um, Yadier Molina also back. Um, you know, I think I had suggested at least on, if not on the show, on the last show that maybe he would just catch the Wainwright starts and not so much afterwards. I think Yadi caught every game this week, except for, <laughs> one of the doubleheader games and that's just because it was a doubleheader game mm-hmm. um andrew kisner is now hibernating again um <laughs> it, but you know yadi obviously still whatever yadi went through and and then this was not i think even adam wainwright has said he wasn't sure yadi and Melina was coming back um this was not just a a, a fatigue or right. leg issue there was there the was more wasn't to it that though. bad <laughs> right. Right. There was more of a of a emotional, spiritual, whatever component to it. I mean, there was there was a, I don't want to say a crisis of faith, but he, he there was something that yeah. y- Yanni wasn't handling well. So to see him come back and you know, he's still not going to be a huge threat at the plate, but he's enough. He got a few hits. Um, we have proven that he cannot score from first base. Um, we saw that today when he was, um, I think uh, Dylan Carlson probably would have had a triple, uh, except that Yachty <laughs> was in front of him. Um, but, you know, he's contributing. He's he's involved with the team. Um, you know, he was, I've, I don't know that I've seen him jump so high as he was on Friday night when that uh, that extra run yeah. was coming in. Um, it. I wonder, you know, just, I mean, again, he comes back at the same time they make these moves at the deadline at the same time as, you know, a few other things, but having him back, you know, from a clubhouse perspective, I think that probably gave him a little bit of a kickstart too. Not only that, I think, look, I feel like there are people who want to try to deny that intangible impact that he has on pitchers at this point, just because, well, yeah, but a lot of catchers can do that, right? Or, mm-hmm. oh, well, they can succeed without him. They did fine while he was away. Well, yeah, but when all of a sudden he's back and the first thing, the first big moment is Gallegos having to close a game because Ryan Helsley mm-hmm. is unavailable and face the heart of the Yankees lineup to do it. <laughs> and it was one of those classic Molina moments with a meeting on the mound that changed everything for Gallegos Mm -hmm. in that moment. Gallegos has not pitched with confidence in a while. And so to have that moment, to have that kind of dynamic, that's not to say Andrew Kisner could not have gotten him through that inning, but it is to say I felt more confident in Molina knowing the right thing to say, the right button to push, the right pitch sequence to call, which Look, Yadi doesn't always get that right either. He's not flawless, <laughs> but mm. he's done this a lot. And he's done it with enough different pitchers, with enough different scenarios. that in that moment, I think you have to be able to credit him for 
picking not only the pitches, but the moment to stop the game and go talk to Gallegos and know what to say to put him in the best position to succeed. That doesn't mean you give Yadier Molina credit that belongs to Giovanni Gallegos, but Mm -hmm. I think it was impossible for me to watch this weekend series against the Yankees and not feel like, man, Yadi really does still have an impact on the pitching staff the moment he steps back behind the plate. And whether he's been, you know, 100% in all of this season or not, for whatever re- those reasons are, you know, when he is in, when he is in the moment, in the game, Man, it's still so obvious to me that there's something special about the way he sees a game, the way that he can kind of be the playmaker without being the one with the ball in his hand or the bat in his hand. And that's special. Like we said last week, right? You want to appreciate every at bat that he has because you don't know what which one is going to be the last. But every time he gets a pitcher through an inning like that, you know, to me, that's just a point of emphasis on how many of those moments we've seen over the years where a pitcher might have folded otherwise, but the Yadier Molina magic got him through a moment that would otherwise have been overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, if, and again, you're right, nothing against Andrew Kisner, but if Andrew Kisner comes to the mound and says, you can do this, that's one thing. But when a hall of fame catcher who has been through this a lot says, I know you can do this. You're going to believe him more. I mean, that's yeah. just, that's just it. I mean, cause he's seen that. I mean, and if he's willing to say, you know, give me, you know, what do you tell him? Give me one good pitch, you know, one quality pitch. You're much more likely to be able to do that. I think, cause you but have, you know, it's just that belief. It is. And it's that hearing that um, retelling of that moment actually made me think back to the Adam Wainwright closing out the world series moment where Mm. he has told it by saying like, Hey, I'm going to throw the best curveball of my life. (laughs) Or maybe it wasn't even the world series. I think that was the, the NLC. That's the the Uh, Beltran. Yeah. Yeah. Against Beltran. And he was like, man, I'm, I'm facing Carlos Beltran. I'm going to throw the best curveball of my life. And if he hits it, tip your cap. If he doesn't hit it, we're going to the world series. Mm -hmm. And you know, it was one of those moments that, I don't know that that necessarily came directly from Molina or if that was sort of the mindset of Wainwright, but it was, a, it, it reminded me of that moment in that, Hey, Molina was there for that kind of moment so many times where he could then go out and say like, Hey, <laughs> I've done this before. Give me one good pitch. And I mm-hmm. promise <laughs> it can all, it can all go the way that it's supposed to after that. And you're right. It's different coming from him than from someone who, you know, maybe could have said the same thing, but doesn't have the experience to back it up the same way. Yeah. And, and hopefully, you know, hopefully Andrew Kisner has a long enough career that at some point in time, he'll have that yeah. kind of connection with pitchers. He just, it just isn't there yet. And that's, that's understandable. It's nothing against him. It takes a lot. <laughs> you know, it takes almost, you know, Yanni really is doing this for almost 20 years now. So, um, you know, it, it didn't come overnight. Um, well, pretty close, I guess, with Yachty, since uh, by 2006, uh, they were already trusted. That's to true. Do I was going to say, I feel like his personality allowed him to uh, yeah. get to that point with guys maybe quicker than uh, than, than Kisner will. <laughs> but, you know, we're also talking about a guy that has, for now, I think by now everybody is, knows that Yachty Molina is going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, right. Yachty Molina is one of these guys that's going to be talked about for years uh, being, you know, the ultimate catcher, especially defensive catcher. Um, he's, he's just going to have that kind of mythos around him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not everybody gets that, you know, right. even good catchers, even guys that, you know, Mike Piazza's in the hall of fame, mainly for his bat, yeah. but you know, so people don't talk about Mike Piazza like that, right. um, but they're going to talk about Yachty really like that. So, um, We've gone long, but one last thing. Um, it looks like Jack Flaherty is uh, he, he's supposed to have thrown a bullpen today. Um, if he recovers well, should go out on a rehab assignment. He can't come back until the end of August, I think the 26th. Um, but it looks like, barring knock on all the sorts of wood, he might be back around that time. What does that look like for you if Jack Flaherty is ready to come back and pitch, you know, four to five innings? 
which again, may be a stretch given what we've seen out of Jack Flaherty this year. But if he is, you know, what does that do for this team? Because it feels like to me that's that's a pretty good boost. It does. I think if I'm being totally honest, I have a hard time, I guess, anticipating that Jack Flaherty is going to come back and be, oh, it's it's Jack Flaherty the ace, right? Mm-hmm. Even, you know, even if we're talking only four innings, from a stuff perspective, from a consistency perspective, from a command perspective, he's just been out of game situations so much in the last year. I have a hard time anticipating that he's just going to bounce right back into it. And all of a sudden the Cardinals are going to have, you know, their, their counterpart to the number one on any team that's going to make it to the postseason, Right. So in that light, it's hard for me to sort of place him in the rotation accurately. Although I, I would imagine that makes Dakota Hudson, the weak link in the rotation. If Jack Flaherty is in fact back as even if he's not stretched out as much as he would be at this point in the season. Right. Um, You know, he's not going to pitch seven innings most likely at any point Mm -hmm. this season. He's not going to, you know, throw eight scoreless. Um, But if he can give you four and then you go from there, or if he can give you five and then you go from there, I think the, the consistency and the command is what is going to, be the most significant because the Cardinals now have enough arms (laughs) in that mix that if he throws four or five, that's, that's fine. They could almost piggyback start with him and Palante, which is basically what Mm -hmm. he did with Dakota Hudson anyway. And then I don't know where Dakota Hudson fits into that mix, but you you figure it out. Right. So I think there's certainly a spot for him that, you know, similar to uh, the Paul DeYoung resurgence, lengthening the lineup you know you you add an arm as capable as jack flaherty into the rotation sure you like the idea of having him down the stretch into the postseason i think i'm i'm just so hesitant to buy into the idea that he's gonna come back in a couple weeks and just be like nothing ever happened that it's hard to in my mind realistically insert him somewhere (laughs) because I just don't know what he is right now. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is hard to figure that out. Right. And you don't know what you can get from him over the stretch. That being said, you know, the good thing is with the additions of Katana and Montgomery, all he has to be is a fifth starter. Right. Right. I mean, (laughs) you know, if he's more than that, great. But if he can be a fifth starter that takes the ball every day, every fifth day and gives you five innings, even, I mean, that's, and, and does it much faster than Dakota Hudson does? Um, I got, and again, I mean, to, to, to rabbit hole a little bit, the comments that Ali Marmol continues to make about Dakota Hudson have to make me think that Dakota Hudson's time is short with the Cardinals. Um, or, you know, unless he makes some significant changes. I I feel like Dakota Hudson is one of those guys they move in the offseason. Because um, yep. it just doesn't feel like whatever they want him to do he's doing well that's the Um, thing they're gonna run out of roles for him right i I mean if he's not one of their best five starting options he's not gonna be in the rotation i don't know if you move him to the bullpen if he's one of your you know top three middle relief options (laughs) so I, i don't know where that leaves him once the arms they have are healthy once everybody's kind of in that conversation and that's why you know he may just not have a a spot when it comes down to it I may not. And we'll see. We'll see. But, you know, again, if you can get Flaherty to get you in there and give you five competent innings, and especially if this offense is is running like it is. I mean, it's got two MVP candidates in it right now. You've got, you know, Dylan Carlson and, you know, Tyler O'Neill. If he can continue to kind of find something, we've seen a little bit of flashes here and there. Um, You know, if DeYoung is is healthy and and is going to be this kind of guy, this is an offense that could be very – dangerous and so all you you don't need superstars you just need solid pitching and you know if Flaherty can do that that's that's even the better I mean if you could get to October and not be sure who's going to be left off of a postseason rotation (laughs) I think you're doing all right yeah 
Yeah, that that's so. true. Uh, I will say I cannot go this entire show talking about this whole week of baseball and not at least give a shout out to Lars Dubar because mm. that dude's energy right now <laughs> is everything yeah. I want baseball to be. <laughs> Well, and and he saved. I mean, I legitimately saved uh, Saturday's game yeah. with oh, that totally. catch in the ninth. I mean, yeah. there's there's no doubt. And you're right. I mean, and he's and he's hitting well. I mean, in fact, it's a fascinating. And you wonder how much that also played into allowing Harrison Bader to go because you know sure. we were there's there's that whole talk uh, when they're talking about Soto and they're you know the Washington wants Dylan Carlson. And it's like who's going to play center field if you don't have <laughs> Dylan Carlson, right? Yeah. I mean, right now and. Um, now that Carlson's there and center and, and you free up that spot, you've got Newt Barr and, and Dickerson is actually playing pretty well. Mm, yeah. uh, you know, he's he was saved from being cut earlier with an injury <laughs> and he's taking advantage of his second life. So, you know, and then you've got Alec Burleson in Memphis still hitting well. So, you know, that, that situation could be very interesting as it continues to go, but it's, uh, as we often say, a good problem to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Newt Newtbar has, has definitely stepped up from what he, I mean, his energy has always been there, but he seems to be finding, figuring out how to yeah. play the game yeah. at this level now. And that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. So, yep. all right. Well, we've gone way over our normal time about doubled it, but you know, trade deadline time, it's going to happen. Um, so until next time, the Cardinals <laughs> amazingly. Again, like we said, this time last week, we we're, I think, three games behind the Brewers. Now they're yeah. two games up. Um, of course, we've you know we been excited about a sweep of the Cubs and a sweep of the Yankees. They'll probably go in and lose Tuesday night to the Rockies. Because that's just the I, way I will say, I, I, was telling, I was telling my husband earlier, I think that for once, the Cardinals having an off day after this week is actually a good thing. That there, there's an off day Monday because that letdown after all the excitement of this homestand <laughs> maybe doesn't happen on game day. <laughs> uh, that's that's fair that's fair and you get miles michaelis going tomorrow yeah. although in course field we'll see how how that all works out but um you know the cardinals again they have the they have the rockies and then they had come home and have the brewers in a series that if milwaukee is still struggling it's going to feel really big to them i think um yeah. you know not as much as the cardinals i mean it, it's a big thing because the cardinals only play the brewers four more times after this series coming up but you know if the Cardinals are able to maybe make it a three-game lead um, yeah. going into that series. I don't think I'd really want to be the in where the Brewers are at. Doesn't mean that they can't play well or take the series, but if they don't, I mean, if if the Brewers leave town down five or six games, it's it starts to become like, is this race actually going to be a race, or is it? Because we've kind of thought at some point in time the Cardinals might take a hold of this thing you know, they have a chance to do that this week. Yeah. I, I would even go so far as to say that Brewer series is incredibly important to the Cardinals just because Mm -hmm. if they want to create space and create cushion going into that sort of final month of the season, looking at, I I mean, looking weeks ahead where they have a West coast trip against those Dodgers who swept the Padres and the Padres who have all the players, um, (laughs) you know, having a bit of cushion, there are some, you know, sub 500 teams in the mix there, but that Brewer series really could give this Cardinals team the the space to breathe a little bit and not feel quite like every game is a, a winner go home kind of scenario with the Brewers so close on their heels. And, you know, that doesn't mean that's the make or break series. I just think it's it, it may end up being as important for the Cardinals as it will appear to be for the Brewers, just in terms of, okay, setting them up for that stretch run. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be uh, gonna be an interesting week, and uh, we'll talk about it probably next week. When it's this time next week, we'll hopefully have a, a little bit clearer picture. We'll see how it goes. So until then, for Tara, I'm Daniel. Good night. Hey, Cardinals fans, thanks for listening to this week's show. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on iTunes. Just search Gateway to Baseball Heaven under Podcasts and click Subscribe. While you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in Baseball Heaven.